those who have heard me preach for a while <clears throat> know that my messages often tend towards some sort of how we relate to one another, right? I've preached on being encouragers, I've preached on being blessers, things along those lines. Those tend to be the messages that God gave to me, very encouraging sort of messages. And <clears throat> I'm not going to start by saying this morning is a discouraging message because that's not at all what it is. It's an encouragement in a different way. Let's call it that. And I've titled this morning's message, Building on the Rock. Building on the Rock. And I have to tell you, starting out, my message was originally titled, Preparing for Persecution. That wasn't very encouraging. So when I started studying it out, I realized that everything that we do as Christians to prepare for hard times is to build our life on the rock. Every single one of those things that we will do is to build our life on Christ, to make sure that we are founded on him, and then we will be ready for difficult times. The message was spawned from Sarah and I talking with each other about how we as people and, and as humanity, when things get bad, we always look to when they will get better. For any of you on social media, you may have well seen somebody post a picture up that said, goodbye 2020. Good riddance. We're happy that the year is over. Even if you're not on social media, you've probably heard somebody say something like that. We're glad it's gone. We're beginning a new year. Why are they saying that? Because they're looking forward to things getting better. Often we hear messages about revival and that God is going to come and move among his people. And when we talk about the last days and we talk about the coming darkness that there's going to be, we focus on that light and on revival that is going to, become, that going to come because we look to when things will be better. There will be greater light. Even the sermon from last Sunday where Bob preached about looking forward, you know, 220's past and we're looking forward. We have eternity and heaven to look forward to. And those things are all good. Don't get me wrong. It is good to look forward to heaven. It is good to look forward to revival. It is good to look to Christ and that things will be, become better. And we certainly have a, a bright future, at least in heaven, if not again on this earth. We, we don't know. We're not preaching a down message, but we know that heaven is very bright and a wonderful place that we're looking forward to going. Jesus endured hardship on the cross. How? For the joy set before him. So he even looked to when it would be better for him, for a tremendous joy in his future, and that helped him to endure his presence and the difficulty that his father had for him. So it is good to look forward, but also Sarah and I were talking about, you know, as much as we look forward, we need to also be prepared for what God has for us for now. It's necessary to be prepared. We live in a country that has really never experienced severe, widespread religious persecution. Think back to our history. Not once has there ever been widespread persecution here. Praise God, right? Amen? Can you say amen? It's been a wonderful blessing for hundreds of years here. Now, there are, there's been some some. I won't say minor, but more localized areas of persecution between religious groups here in America. We've had that in our past. We've had, you know, the Salem witch trials and so on, 
where people didn't like other people and were suspect and persecuted them. But I'm saying no widespread, no across the country sort of persecution that when you think of other places, you think of somewhere like China, there's always religious persecution, widespread across the whole country. We've been blessed to not have that. And as for those who are here on Wednesday night, you heard me say we've never really experienced anything compared to what Christians have in other places here in our country. We have been blessed. And I've heard so much over these past few months during COVID of how terrible it is, you know, how difficult. And I'm not saying that it's not been a difficult time. But for Christians, sure, during this pandemic, there, there's been some more stringent guidelines on churches at times in certain states. That has happened. But that's nothing compared to other places and what it has been. We have been blessed compared to many. How many of you have gone hungry because, because food was not available to you? Not one hand. How many of you have lost your job because of the pandemic? I thought maybe there would be a hand or two. Not one hand. Nobody here lost a job. How many of you have had zero money because of the economy or the recent pandemic? None. Would you say we are blessed? I think so. How many of you have gone homeless? Nowhere to live. No roof over your head. Not one hand. All of us here have had a home at all times. How many of us have had anything more than a disapproving look or a verbal disagreement from somebody because they found out we were a Christian? How many of you have had anything more than that for being a Christian here? Not one hand. Some people give their life for being a Christian in other places. Now, I say all that to say we have had it very good, and I'm not saying that we won't continue to do so. Signs say that things might be changing here in our country. But the fact that tribulation is going to come, or persecution, whatever you want to call it, is is a fact. And I don't say that it's not a fearful message this morning. The Bible says it is a fact. Persecution will come. Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then in Acts 14, verse 22, Acts 14.22, it says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Tribulations is persecutions or trials or difficulties. So the Bible tells us that these things will happen. So the question for us is if it tells us they're going to happen, how are we to be ready? How are we going to prepare and what we're going to look at this morning is what I call to prepare spiritually. There are others who can help you to prepare naturally for a coming disaster or a coming hard time. The Bible doesn't focus on those natural preparations. It focuses always on the, what I call, again, the spiritual preparations or how we prepare inside of us. How are we strengthened to endure a time such as that? And so it tells me that our first focus as Christians should be spiritual. The natural preparation is fine. If you know me, you know that I'm not opposed to that. 
but prepare spiritually first. Because what good are natural preparations without being ready inside? It is a spiritual preparation that helps us to put our trust in God in a hard time. It is a spiritual preparation that emotionally helps us to endure hardship. You know, you can have all the provisions in the world and all the protection and the safety, but be emotionally a wreck. It is God who helps our inside, our soul, to endure that hardship. It is God and being spiritually prepared that helps us to have peace in our soul. It is God that helps us keep a right perspective in difficulty. It is God who helps us to love those who would persecute us. These are all God things that natural preparation doesn't help. So again, I'm not saying natural preparation is wrong. Be prepared as much as you can. But the Bible very much gears us toward being ready and looking to God in times of difficulty. So we're going to talk a little bit about building on the rock. And then every other point after this, after building on the rock, ties to building on the rock. And we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. And we'll read through this uh, familiar story. This is how Jesus ended his sermon on the mount when he was teaching. And he said in Matthew 7, 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Now in this story, we often remember and focus on, on the, the main difference between these two. What was the main difference? One built on the rock, the other built on the... Okay, that's what we focus on. We remember that. Build on rock, don't build on sand. But what was the, what was the similarity in both of these stories? What happened to both of them? The storm hit both of them, regardless. It says to both of them, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and the wording is, and beat on that house. The one that was built on the rock still had his house beat on, but his house didn't fall. And so this speaks to us, these words speak to us, the rain, the flood, the winds, they speak of the trials, the tribulations of this life. Jesus is telling the ones listening, look, when times get tough, if you are built on me, you will still face the tough times, but you will not fall. If you are not built on me as your rock, when times get tough, the rain will come, the flood will come, the storm will come, and it will beat on you, and if you're not built on me, you will fall. That's the difference. But the, the storm hit both of them. Sarah told me this verse last night, or yesterday sometime, she was reading in her Bible and I was studying. She said, what about Psalms 93, 3 through 4, for your message and about building on the rock? And this is what it said, says, Psalms 93, 3 through 4, the floods have lifted up, O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice, the floods lift up their roaring. 
mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. And the psalmist is saying it doesn't matter how great the storm gets. It doesn't matter how great the flood is. God is mightier than the mightiest storm. And when we are built on him, we are founded secure. So how do we build our life on Christ? And again, the following points, there could be many of them, but I picked out several that I think very much apply to how to handle difficulty, how to, how to endure persecution or tribulation or hard times and be built on Christ. And the first one is fear God. And specifically, fear God and not man. Fear God and not man. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 28, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Who is that? Well, God. God is the final judge of people's lives. He is the one that we need to fear. And that fear means reverent. We know that. If you study your Bible enough, you know we're not shaking and quaking at God, but we're very reverent toward God. I can say pretty certainly that each of us will face a time in our life when we have to choose whether we care more about what God says or we care more about what man says. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible's clear about the necessity of honoring authority. You've heard sermons probably on that, about honoring our God-given authority. You've heard Sunday school teachings on that. As far as it's not forcing us to disobey God. And even in those times when we have to, the Bible gives pretty clear examples of how we still have a, an attitude toward authority. You can think of Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They spoke very reverently to the king, when they told him, we cannot bow to your idol, but they were still respectful of him. Or the apostles, when they were before the religious leaders of those days, they, they were very respectful, but they said, we can't obey you over God. They were still respectful. But when we are faced with a choice of whether we will fear God or fear man, if we come to a major time like that in our country, or even if it's a specific uh, instance for you in your own life. What will you choose? Joshua, when he was speaking to the Israelites in, in some familiar verses in chapter 24, we know the verse, it says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But he was talking to the rest of the people and saying, there's these other gods and you can decide to serve these other gods and you can decide to fear or do these other things. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, he was committed already. No matter what happened, he said, I will fear God above anything else that happens or that comes up as a, as a possibility. I will serve the Lord. What would I do if being a Christian would force me to lose my job? Would I fear God or would I fear man? What would I do if being a Christian would make me lose my home? These are things that have never happened here, and I'm, I hope they'd never do. So I'm just putting out, you know, what ifs to you. Answer these questions. If I would keep my house and go against what God told me to do, because then I would keep my house, well, I fear man more than I fear God. If I would keep my job and go against 
God, I fear man more than I fear God. What if it's a loved one that I would lose? These are tough questions. Things that people in other countries have had to face in serving the Lord. The psalmist said in Psalm 56, verse 11, he said, In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? Now, we know man can do a lot to our physical body, but if we are built on the rock, he cannot touch our soul and he cannot touch our spirits if we're founded on Christ. So that's the first thing. To be prepared is to fear God more than we fear men. Second is love your enemies. Love your enemies and your friends. But loving your friends is pretty easy most of the time. Love your enemies. We're going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 45. Earlier on in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, verse 38, he said, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. It talks about loving your enemies, Jesus did here. He talked about turning the other cheek. And to offer the other cheek is saying, if you strike me again, I will not strike you. It's a love for somebody who is lost, is really, you know, if you think of who your enemy is, hopefully another Christian doesn't come to mind. Hopefully it is somebody who is lost, a lost soul who's not serving the Lord. And it's to love your enemy is to care so much about for the soul of that person. I'm going to read a story this morning that happened in 2017. You may remember this in the news. In 2017, there was an attack in Egypt on the Coptic Christians and on a church there. And they, they lost nearly 50 members of their church in an attack on a Sunday morning. It would be as if somebody came in here and blew the place up. And many people died. But the rest of the story is that just hours after that attack happened, after many of the congregants had lost their lives, Father George stepped before his packed church and gave the terrorists a three-point message. And he called it, a message to those who kill us. And his three points were, thank you, we love you, and we're praying for you. Thank you because the terrorists gave the martyrs the opportunity to die for Christ and shortened their earthly journey to heaven. What a perspective. We love you because even murderers and thieves love each other, but only followers of Christ are taught to love their enemies. We're the only ones who are taught, love your enemies, do good to those who do bad to you. That is a Christian way and God's way. And then we're praying for you because if you could but once taste the tremendous love of God, it would remove the hatred from your heart. And so he said, 
we're praying for those who persecute us. What a perspective. What a love for ones who had just hours before destroyed many of their lives. That is to love your enemies. To survive through difficult times without anger and offense clinging to our soul, we have to learn to love our enemies. If we don't, we will be angry and bitter people. Every enemy of the cross is a soul that is lost. And God loves them, just like God loves you and me. But we have found Christ. There are many who are enemies of the cross, and God loves them too. They are lost souls. All right, and then endure, the next point, endure suffering with patience. Endure suffering with patience. And our key verse for this is 1 Peter 2, 20 through 23. 1 Peter 2, verses 20 through 23. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, being, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And that's the key to all those verses about Christ and how he endured. He continued to entrust himself to the one who judges justly, to God his Father. How well do I handle being reviled? Probably not very well. How well do you handle being reviled? How well do you handle being threatened? These are the things it says of Christ. And it said he did not respond back. He did not revile back. He did not threaten back. He entrusted himself into the hands of God. He endured suffering with patience. And there's only one way to do this well, and that's to commit ourselves fully into the hands of God. Because he is the one who at the end of time will judge righteously. And at that end of time, it really matters less who had the right opinion. It matters less how well we were able to defend ourselves verbally or physically. What will matter most is how much we were committed to God, how much we committed ourselves to the Lord. Now, we could balance that and say there probably are times that it's right to defend yourself. <laughs> but the general attitude in the Bible is it's more important to be committed to Christ, to commit yourself into his hands and trust that when the time happens, if something were to come up, you would know what is right, the right thing to do in that situation. Next, have an eternal perspective. Have an eternal perspective. Romans 8.18 says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Written by the Apostle Paul, who suffered more than anybody in this room and more than many people ever have. And he said, this stuff, it can't compare to eternity. It can't compare to the glory to come. So he endured through a lot because of his goal, which was being with Christ and with God in eternity. There were several people on this past Wednesday night at our New Year's Eve service. They came up front and they gave testimonies and they mentioned the word perspective 
as an important word for them either in 2020 or 2021, whichever it was. But that word perspective came up a lot. Perspective is so important to us and specifically to have an eternal perspective. It helps us to endure. Next thing that came to mind for being prepared is praying and praising. Pray and praise. Both of those things together. Prayer shows a dependence on God. Prayer shows our relationship with God. While praise shows our thanks to God or our adoration to Him. Who in the Bible prayed in their greatest time of testing? Say it out loud. Jesus. Do you think if Jesus did that, maybe we should too? What do you think? I think so. When he was in his greatest trial, I'm speaking to myself, he didn't go to Google. He didn't go ask for help. He didn't look it up on YouTube. He went and prayed in his greatest time of testing. And he endured through partly because he went to his father when there was difficulty. That is where we find the greatest help, is to go to God in our greatest time of difficulty. And then praising as well gives great strength to endure. We could give many examples from the Bible of this, of how praising God in difficulty helps us through difficulty. But both of these are a great strength to us. If we would turn to them instead of other things, if we would turn to them instead of complaining or instead of striving or instead of going to talk to somebody else about what we're going through, if we would go to God first, we would pray, we would praise him, we would be strengthened. Another point that I thought is read and memorize your Bible. And both of those are important. We talk a lot about reading. Memorizing is also extremely important. Psalm 1 verses 1 through 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. His delight is in the Bible. His delight is in the word of God. In Acts 17, verse 11, it talks about how the Bereans went to their Bible to verify what was true and what was not. And I think they're a great example to us in times like these, when it's hard to know what is true and what is not, before going to Google or going to the news or going to your sources, go to the Bible. Go to the Bible. It is true. Do you read your Bible daily? Do I read it daily? Do I verify information according to the Word of God? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, Scripture, all Scripture is given to us to equip us and prepare us. That's shortened, but it says those words in there. Equip us and prepare us is what the Bible, part of what the Bible is given to us for. Now, I'm going to go through some statistics here that I found because I, I find this stuff interesting, although it is very sad. There's a report called the State of the Bible Report. It's done by the American Bible Society. They've now done it for 10 years running. And they, in this report, they find out many different aspects of how people in America specifically relate to the Word of God. And in the year 2020, they found that 9% of Americans read their Bible every day. Now, that's not the church. That's America as a whole. 
9% of Americans read the Bible. As I said, they've done this study for 10 years. And in the past nine years, the number has averaged 13.7% of Americans. But they recognized a specific drop in 2020 that the number went from the average of 13.7 down to nine. It had never been that low in 10 years. Interesting, a drop of nearly 5% during a pandemic. That's a sad fact. Many had more time on their hands, not everybody. Many had more reason to reach out to God. Now on the flip side, Sarah's reading a book right now that pointed out, I was going through a whole bunch of different stuff, but it pointed out some interesting um, statistics, and I'm going to pick on one industry, not because I'm an entirely opposed, I'm not a huge fan, but they're a brilliant, um, they've done very brilliant marketing to grab the hearts and minds of people. And this is the video game industry. So she's, she's reading a book, and in there it points it out how the usage of video games has dramatically increased over the past while, and they are now worth more as an industry than movies, than music, and than books. They are one of the highest valued industries that exists. They're worth over $100 billion as the video game industry. Well, so I found a report on that by the NPD group, which is a major um, analysis group. That's not the important part, but they did a report, a study called the 2020 Evolution of Entertainment that found that those who played video games in 2020 increased by 6% to a total of 79% of Americans played video games in 2020, four out of five people. Those, the total time spent playing video games increased by 26%. Total video game spending increased by 33%. And the study also went on to say the, the greatest increases were ages 40 and up. They increased 20 to even 50% categorically of users of video games in those categories. And again, I'm not smashing that industry. They are brilliant in their marketing and how they grab people and they keep them. But I was also thinking how the reading of the Bible it went down during a pandemic. People had more time. People were more concerned. And the playing of video games drastically went up. And what a sad state of our country that is. There's another uh, study, another um, analysis done. in 2000, It was called the 2019 Discipleship Pathway Assessment by Lifeway Research. You've probably heard of Lifeway. They do a Bible app. Um, but they did a specific Christian analysis in 2019. So this is dated before the pandemic. But they found that 32% of those who attend a Protestant church read their Bible every day. So one-third of church attendees of Protestant churches read their Bible every day. 27% said they read it a few times a week. Now I say all this to say, analyze your habits. Analyze my habits. Maybe it's not video games. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's books. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's having such a crazy busy life that you have no time. Whatever it is, analyze your habit during the pandemic. Did you get into the Bible more or less? Or did you stay steady the whole way through? And you don't have to answer that for me, but answer that for yourself. And this is important because I've been thinking about other places again. What would you do if your Bible was removed from you. I said at the beginning, read and memorize your Bible. 
What would you do if you did not have a Bible? What would you do? You may have heard, and if not, it's some very sad news that the country of China removed access to Bible apps, removed Bibles out of the bookstores. And you know what they did? They introduced their own Bible that is now very supportive of the Communist Party. So if you were in China, it's very hard to get your hands on a copy of the true word of God. You get your hands on an altered copy that supports their government regime. In times of persecution, there's a good chance that access to the Bible will be removed. Spend time now while we can reading it and memorizing it because it will be the strength you need if you no longer have it. And if you have given your time to other things and don't have time for the word of God, now is the time to make that right. It really is. And I know we often, like I said, preach encouraging messages, but sometimes there has to be, you've got to be open to God correcting you as well, and me as well. Um, so if you have, and we know we don't spend 12 hours a day in front of the Bible, reading the word of God. That's not physically possible, but you know what your heart goes to and you know what your time goes to and whether you have time for the word of God or not. And I know that too. So those are several points, several ways we build our life on Christ. And if we've done these things, we will be prepared for troublous times or difficult times. If we fear God, more than we fear man. If we have learned to love our enemies and to not spend our time reviling them and being offended at them and upset with them, but we love them like God loves them. If we've learned to endure with patience through suffering, and that may not even be persecution suffering. That may be daily suffering. Maybe if you daily suffer with headaches or physical pain or some other ailment, any sort of that, I think, is God preparing you for other things in your life. If you learn to endure those things, have an eternal perspective. Pray and praise. Go to God when things are difficult and pray to him and praise his name even when it's tough. And then read and memorize your Bible. In Matthew chapter 5, right at the beginning of the, Mount, of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus said, you know, tough times can even be a blessing if you endure them properly. And the Apostle Paul said in Romans 5, verse 3, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works patience. We glory in that difficulty because it works something inside of us. It's not the perspective of somebody who can't wait for 2020 to be over. This is the perspective of somebody who is looking to God. and says, I trust you, Lord, and I will serve you, Lord, no matter what. So we do not know what lies ahead, but we know we can trust God. He is our rock. He is so strong and stable, and we need to build our life on him, on a sure foundation. 
So, amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to help us to do that. Lord, thank you for all these ways that you've given us in your word for how we can build our life on you to pre prepare for difficult times that may lie ahead in our life, Lord. But we can always lean and rely on you. Help us to build our life on you. And as we ended with, Lord, help us to get into your word and to memorize it. Help there not to be other things in our life that we set your word aside to give ourselves pleasure or an enjoyment in in these other areas. Help your word to be so valuable and so important to us that as your word says we delight in it, that we love it. Help us to love your word and help us to love you and again to build our life on you, that you would sustain us. We pray this in your name. Amen.